Uh, this morning I've got something very interesting for you because if you think of Paro in 2019 or in 2018 last year, you think normally of, of the Paro Center, which is the huge building slap bang in the middle there. You think of Fushini's head office uh, directly opposite that. You think of Fairfield Meat Market in the area. And you also think of the, the huge and enormous shop right on the other side of, um, of sort of Fort Checker Road. And you also uh, think of that no-go area where you are trying to sort of duck and dive and uh, avoid the taxis going past the shop right there. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what we don't normally think of is that this urban commuter hub once had a history, and it's probably still have a history, um, in which Khoi and Dutch settlers lived in that particular community. So this morning we tried to, to have a look at it, and I'm sitting in front of me with an article from a newspaper. Uh, we're going to be chatting on the line to Dr. Nicholas Walters of Durbanville Heritage Society, who's actually written a book about the history of Paro uh, from its pre-colonial times to colonial times and also post-colonial era and the time we live in right now. And he joins us on the line this morning. Good morning, Dr. N- Dr. Walters, uh, and welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Zane. Doctor, when we look at, when we look at this entire area, and uh, if we look at the past two to three um, years, um, you know, especially in the Western Cape and especially in Cape Town, we have the Boer Cup, we have Salt River. We have an, a number of people claiming heritage and claiming history to certain areas and, and, and history uh, as 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 part of their claim for for heritage, we've just had the Boer Cup. Nineteen buildings in the Boer Cup and nineteen institutions in the Boer Cup uh, being known as heritage areas or being given that status of heritage. So, um, why was there such a need to document the history of Paro then? And to start off with, uh, I when since my retirement, in fact, I worked at the Medical Research Council in Paro, and since my retirement, uh, I decided to get involved more about the history and heritage and I wrote one or two books on Durbanville and it's and uh, and especially also focusing on the on the farms which which formed the kernel of, of development in that area. But as you know the Tigerberg as it stands has actually got three towns around it. Um, the one of course is Durbanville on the east side and on the west side we well or more to the to, to the south side we've got Belleville and then Paro. So all of these three towns had different ways of development. Of, and, uh, for example, uh, Durbanville has been called the the city of the, or the town developed by the ox wagon, because that was where the crossroads mm. was, where all the ox wagons went through yeah. to Wellington and so on. And uh, Belleville was known as the town started by the railway. <laughs> <laughs> so I can talk, I'll talk a little bit about it's the still, railway because that was yeah. also important. It's still got a terrible station there, and hey, I'm Paro, telling you. Paro yeah. is a, one that's called the town of developers, and that is how Paro started. It's, it's got a very long history. Uh, as you said, it, it spans from the early Khoisan people right through to today. But um, what is more important uh, about Paro is that it, it really... Developers got hold of it around 1900, and that's really when the town took off. So I decided to, to as I said, and Belleville was also relatively well documented, and Paro had a bit of odds and ends of data and information, but unfortunately erroneous and politically biased. You know, this is just mm. at that time, that type of publication. And I thought, uh, that's my hometown. I was born there in 1950. And I thought, well, let's write a book about it. 
Um, but I thought, well, is there something worthwhile writing? And, you know, I was so amazed by the things that I've unraveled in that book, which gave a totally new focus on a town which sometimes always looked down, you know, Paro. But in fact, uh, as we go through the interview, I can point out how actually it was quite a leading town and it played a crucial role in the country's economic or at more focus the Western Cape economic development and of course yeah. also the country. So this that that is my interest and I thought let's document the the whole history, as you say, from pre colonial up to talk to the future. Now you know, normally when you go back into our history and um, and 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 uh, there, there's a part of the history which is written and there's a part of the history which is just what they call in uh, uh, you know any folks mountain, which is like you know myths and stories that are being told about what happened in the area. Where did you get all the information from? Was it a difficult task to get the information? Yes, it was. Well, like all of these towns, but I think there's lots of documents available at the Cape Archives. Uh, there, as I said, there were some publications uh, through the years uh, around or Paro, or not specifically Paro, but including Paro, and uh, also interviews with a few people. For example, a very interesting uh, thing that people won't know, that the terrible impact of the Group Areas Act, for example, that I caught the soul of that, the, the sorrow and the hurt, you know, and when when you read the the previous books, people said, "Ah, oh, everyone was very happy to move," <laughs> and uh, you know, and was so. But when you interview a few people, then you get to the bottom. Of it. So yes, it's a combination of 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 of, of desk work, archival work, historical photos, internet, and interviews. We, you spoke, you uh, talk about in your book, and we're chatting this morning to Dr. Nicholas Walters, and uh, uh, he's written a book called Paro Quo Vardis, and uh, you cover the history from the early Khoisan settlements uh, to the first VOC farms from the early 1700s in this book, and then also Captain Johan Paro. Uh, and I know that we've got Jack Paro, but, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, a little bit, he's a little bit more current in, 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 in this particular span. Uh, take us through a bit of the history of, of Paro uh, and, and why, because, yeah. I mean, you've, you've got huge institutions in Paro. There is the Paro Center. There is, of course, the, like you said, the development around. Uh, there's a magistrate court there, which is one of the things that Paro has got, um, which a lot of other towns don't have. Uh, and then on the other side, on the flip side of Paro, and when I look at Paro today, for instance, it is so integrated. I mean, you, you had Cravenby Estate, which was sort of on the brink of Paro on the other side of the railway line. Uh, and we were divided those days by railway lines, as a matter of fact. Um, you yeah. know, you've, you, you, on this side, you've got Cravenby Estate, which used to be for the Indians. Then on, you've got Ravensmead and Aitzach and all the other areas, which used to be colored yeah. areas. And then on the northern side of that railway line, you had all the white areas. When you look at these areas these days, they are just so mixed and so integrated. So, uh, you know, take us through about, you know, exactly what Paro is at the moment and, and, and what Paro is in 2019. Yes, no. Let's be, can I start with the, 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 the you know, as, as, hmm. as we mentioned, the, 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 the original indigenous uh, 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 population. Uh, yeah. There's a little river that runs through Paro. It's called the Elsie Scroll River. You might be aware that it goes, it meanders all the way from Durbanville through Paro. Now it's actually channelized and you can't see it so much. 
And then this river eventually ends up going through Pinelands. Maybe you've seen the, when you go over Brickney Pinelands, you'll see the Elsie-Sakral River. That's the river. Now, that river itself, uh, you know, meandered through there, and that, that was why the settlements always moved along those river areas for, 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 for water. Then, as you said, or remarked, uh, the, 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 the Dutch settlers, um, came in the country, as we know, and farms were allocated. The barrows actually consists, it consists of four farms. Uh, the four farms of the, uh, is Plattekloof. Uh, we all know Plattekloof or, uh, the name today. It's a suburb of the area. Then there was a farm called, uh, Lobenstein, Lubenstein. That's on the Belvoir side, but it also went right south into the barrow area. And then you had the farms Hardesleben, uh, where the railway line is about today. And uh, in fact, uh, you can map the old farm specifically, which forms the, also part of or the heart of the of the old parrot. And then there was a little farm to the south of that, also called Rustenburg. So those farms, four farms, formed the kernel. Uh, and during that time. Uh, that was allocated to those four farms were allocated around uh, 1700 and for for years it went on as the just a farming community no development whatsoever taking place in that area then a couple of things happened um you know around 1800 the uh, the 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 first thing that probably of interest was the, the the main road going through Barrow, it's called Voortrekker Road. But that road's a very interesting history because more or less where that road was, it was called the old wagon way. And the it was a sand road and wagons had to be carted by beasts of burden all the way to, to, to Solaris Pass and over the mountain, taking weeks sometimes for those type of trips. And uh, a new governor, Montague, came to the Cape in, in 1843, and he came from Tasmania, actually. And they built a road, and, and the road was called now the, the Hardeweg, or Hard Road, in 1845. And that increased the traffic. You know, the, the, the wagons, you know, from, from traveling a week, the, week, uh, the traveling time was reduced by, by half a day because you had now enough horses and so on. So, you know, that the traffic started increasing up and down that road. And then, the, as I mentioned, the railway opened in 1862. Barrow never had a station, but there was yeah. a station at Belleville and Vasco had a little siding. And uh, then, of course, this our friend, not Jack Barrow, but Joachim uh, <laughs> Barrow, that was an amazing story. I don't think a lot of people know the whole story well, but it's that's so long I'd rather cut it short. But the uh, there was a big gale in Cape Town uh, in, in 1865. In fact, I think something like 10 or 15 boats uh, was wrecked in Cape Town Harbour, and his boat was also wrecked. He he was a Prussian uh, captain, and he actually. Um, you know, his ship was wrecked. It was called the the Gem. Uh, the, uh, some of the books got it wrong and gave it another name. And, uh, well, he didn't decide to stay in South Africa. He became a rich businessman. And, of course, he saw the possibility. And he bought this land in Paro. So uh, 
1899, on his land, there were six houses in Perth. So you can imagine, and today, taking you now to, 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 to 2011, because that's the latest census data, I've got this population of 120,000. And uh, so, uh, and then the Paddock started booming, and especially after the, the Depression and the war, the, the Second World War, a lot of people could buy the affordable land there. And uh, they started developing, and eventually, I think they became more affluent and moved on. So Paddock was a very important, let's say, a, a, a foundation hub for, for the country and, and development later on. And uh, then uh, things started developing. Of course, the industry started building. You've mentioned a couple of... Some of those uh, industries are still there today, many years. I just referred to the Cape Town Sprinting Works there. It's now called the Cape Transvaal Printers, one of the largest printers in the country in Africa mm. for that. So a, bit, a lot of uh, development took place, uh, economic development, as I say, and there was just a rapid expansion of the town. Very interesting to, to win your, your question about Paddock lost all its identity. I think this is maybe a good thing or, or a sad thing, but Doug Durbanville, Belleville, I'm just talking of those three towns, they uh, <clears throat> they were all independent and that uh, mayors and health, uh, uh infrastructure, which was all accumulated in 1994, after the election, they became in different structures, and, and I think it was six districts, and eventually in 2000, they all became part of the Cape Metro. So they all lost their individuality. So that's also maybe a good reason to start documenting the pre-era pre and the post-era, the post-eras after 2000, when they were part of the biggest city of Cape Town. And as you know, a lot of things changed through that time. That was very interesting too. Yeah. It, it, it's it's rather, uh, as you say, it's a very cosmopolitan society. It's actually beautiful, but it was like that. It was. You would be amazed if you, in the forties or fifties. It was. It was only the groups areas act that started and the apartheid era that started changing yeah. this whole environment. As a matter of fact, um, I, I grew up on, I was actually born in the Goodwood area uh, many, many years ago. And then, uh, you know, um, I think I was five years old when we had to actually move out of there. We're chatting this morning to Dr. Nicholas Walters of the Durbanville Heritage Society. And we're chatting about his book, Paro Quo Vardis. Doctor, who, who should be reading this book? Um, is it a very academic book or is it just a, a nice sort of on the doctor's table, you know, in the waiting room kind of book, just to sort of page through and read um, at your leisure book? Something in between. You know, um, uh, as I said, I'm not a historian. I'm a, I'm a scientist. And uh, so I try to, to to write history in the way that I think I can listen. And so it's definitely not academic. Uh, although it, I think there's a, a, useless, a useful number of facts and so on people can use academically, if you understand what I'm trying to say, but yes. it, the, book is, the book is for the youth. I think that was my prime target. Uh, maybe, okay, let's also say for the old-timers, because I've, I've written about the old lantern and all the old movie houses and, and the nice restaurants and so on in the early days and the hotels and so on. So a bit of the, the nightlife and culture too. So maybe the old-timers yeah. will relate to that. How, but especially how, the youth to understand how how things is really developed and and uh, how did the town come about and 
that there's a heart and a soul of the Pharaoh. People, all the history books never gives you that. They all bricks and mortar and, you know, dates. Yeah, and, and, and I was going to ask you... The story um, and the soul of Pharaoh, yes. Yes, I was going to ask you actually how long has false chemist been around? Um, um, <laughs> it seems like forever maybe, because, I mean... I, when, I, I would imagine he was probably... I don't have the exact date now, but it, he was one of the earliest people, and uh, I know that he was instrumental in creating the first school in the early 1900s. So oh, I would wow. say just after nine, he was one of the 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 the, the, the first doctor came around 1902 that had a practice there, and I think he was so soon. They, the twelve was after that, yes. And you know that where that that that, that pharmacy stands today. That's exactly the spot where his original uh, pharmacy was. <laughs> Gosh, I'm telling you, because I, I remember, you know, um, obviously we used to live on the other side in the sort of Cravenby area, Daphne Street, and and I remember, you know, going to Falls Chemist for my children, and they are all today married ladies <laughs> with their own children. So I was just trying to figure out, Doctor, is it, is it very essential and very important for us to look back at our past as a collective society? Yes, I think so, because uh, it's not that we don't long for the past. But we must learn of, of lessons from the past and take take the good from the past and 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 and, and build on that because uh, I, as I said to you, I think there was such a good community life, but it was unfortunately politically really disrupted. Uh, that's also another interesting dimension. Which in, uh, the the first national party hall was built in Paro in 1915. Now, if you go to Paro Civic Center. I, I assume you have been there or yes, know. Yes. There's a little statue there that Dr. Malang put. His, he unveiled the statue in 1915. It's just next to the building. I don't think people know about it, but it stands there next to the, the, the uh, Jack uh, uh, Jan Perro's uh, statue. And uh, so that is actually what I would call the heart of the National Party. That's where the, that all things happened and and so on and so on and all these things developed and Barrow uh, was always noting the, the, the party very well because that was uh, so you can understand the, the, mm. the, the eagerness to, to, to implement the Group Areas Act yeah. and, and as I said as I said it was a bustling community uh, before that and then for years and I think hopefully we're getting back there again Chatting this morning to Dr. Nicholas Walters. He is from um, the Durbanville Heritage Society. Written a book on the history of Para, and it's called Para Quo Vadis, telling us about the absolutely fascinating history of the town. And uh, and if you live in Paro, you can be part of this conversation and tell us exactly what you remember from days gone by in the Paro area on 0214460567 or you can send us a WhatsApp message to 0725671567. Uh, where do we get hold of this book? And uh, I believe the book is available at a cost of 275 Rand uh, per copy and 25 Rand and that will, will obviously go to the Durbanville Heritage Society. Where do we get hold of this book, Doctor? Yes, I think we'll just drop me a, uh, drop me a, oh, give me a call on cell, cell, can I give you a, my cell number? Yeah, sure. Okay, 082 
7789. I love cell numbers that got double in them because it makes it so easy to remember. Uh, cell number yeah. one, once again, it's 082-448-7789. And we were chatting to uh, Dr. Nicholas Walters of the Durbanville Heritage Society about his book called Paro, Quo Vadis, and all the interesting facts surrounding Paro. Doctor, thank you so much and have a wonderful Saturday. And the same to 